All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the Steel and Eisner podcast. This is uh, newly, newly rebranded, newly renamed the Staying Aligned podcast. We're very happy with our new name and new uh, new title here at the law firm. Today, we are welcoming somebody who I consider a dear friend on the defense side, which is few and far between, uh, not because the we don't work well with the defense side, but just because, you know, we, we, we sometimes run in different circles. This is one of those rare circumstances where uh, where we've had uh, such positive interactions with another uh, with a defense attorney and his firm uh, that we we uh, we asked if he'd come on the podcast. He came on once before. Uh, it went really, really well. And so we decided to have him back again. Mr. Keith Bremer, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thank you so much, Alex. And obviously, congratulations on the partnership. It's super yeah. exciting. No worries, man. No worries. Thank you uh, for that. Congratulations. And uh, and for for the nice words, I can there's somebody hovering behind me. I, I think I should be congratulated for taking the biggest risk of my life. <laughs> but, I think but, you're operating with a net there. But congratulations for bringing such a stud on board. Uh, well, I agree. He's pretty good. He gets along with everybody, including defense attorneys. And my mother always told me to watch out for defense attorneys. But uh, looks like we're taking a good chance here. We like what you say because you tell us the truth. You're unafraid, and truly, you are unafraid. A lot of defense attorneys would never talk and t- offer us a couple of trade secrets to the rest of the world because otherwise, some major uh, insurance executive might be upset. You don't seem to be worried about that because you're kind of got a big law firm, like huge. Well, you know, Sean, thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. I just think it's good for the profession that we have an open dialogue between the plaintiff's bar and the defense bar. And there's really no secrets as to what we're doing. I mean, we're both looking for justice, right? We both want to get a plaintiff who is legitimately injured back to his or her baseline and to be compensated for the damages associated with what happened. Well, I, I don't think that I don't know that you speak for every defense attorney or plaintiff's attorney when you when you say that. So it's really uh, it's really nice. I, I know that I believe that. I know that you believe that. And uh, and I, I like that, that the two of us can get together and, and talk uh, for the betterment of our profession. And today for the betterment of the chiropractic profession, that's uh, that's who's primarily uh, listens to our podcast. Uh, there's uh, several people listening live and, and can write in uh, questions to us. But then this goes out to the uh, to the world in, in podcast form and, and in video form on YouTube. And so um, I know that it sort of takes on a life of its own out there. I really appreciate that. So I want to jump right in. We don't have a ton of time. I wanted to ask you, since the last time we spoke, I've had several chiropractors get deposed. Um, and one of the interesting uh, one of the interesting things when that happens is that I'll get frantic phone calls because chiropractors just don't get deposed very often. And when they get a depot notice, I will get phone calls, like I said, a little frantic. Sometimes uh, they're a little humorous. I've had a chiropractor tell me, that they, uh, oh, I don't do depositions. You, you need to tell the other side that I, I don't, I don't, I don't do depots. Um, I always, uh, I always enjoy those phone calls. Uh, it, it turns out you do do depositions. If you do personal injury, you do uh, pursue a disciplina. But I want to take a second to just sort of ask you, you know, candidly, what is it in a file that makes you want to take a, a chiropractor's deposition specifically? Um is it just the lead up to any trial? You're going to take everyone's depot that that touched the patient, or are there certain times when you take a chiropractor's deposition on purpose, specifically for certain reasons? There are red flags or um, something about the case and their injuries, and so to give them some insight as to what a defense attorney might be thinking when they when they set a, a chiropractor depot. Sure. So obviously, different defense firms do things for different reasons. Uh, I want to tell you that from my firm's perspective. 
if we're taking someone's deposition, we're taking the case very seriously. Uh, we're going to take the time to prepare for the deposition. We're going to take the time to uh, formulate the questions because we want to use what we're getting in that deposition for purposes of trying to either settle the case in a mediation or for purposes of cross-examination. Now, on top of that, let's talk specifically about the doctors, about chiropractors and what we're doing there. Um, I have to tell you that it's all about credibility, right? It's all about a bedside manner. You know, it was funny in preparation for this. I want to get this out there. I said to myself, what makes a great chiropractor? What makes a great doctor? What are those things? It just literally just I wrote down 10 things and let's talk about what they are, because what we're really doing in the deposition, let me tell you, for those who don't know. The very first thing we're going to do is say, we really like this person or we don't like this person. And they're going to be relatable to a jury. They're going to resonate with a the jury. They're going to either help us or they're going to hurt us. And as far as I'm concerned, you can't really hurt me. I'm okay with you being amazing and being great and being reasonable and being relatable, et cetera. I'm going to report that. I really liked this doctor. I really felt that he was fair and reason. I really felt he wanted to get the plaintiff back to baseline. You know, that's really what we're looking for is credibility, likability. It changes our analysis and our evaluation of a case. But I do want to throw out just what I wrote down. What makes a great doctor and a great chiropractor? And why this is important is if you're a jerk at home, you're probably a jerk at work. You're probably a jerk with your friends. You know, you are what you eat. And so what taking a deposition does, it allows us to see what kind of a human being are you? Are you somebody that really passionately cares about the patient. So I and, why do you, to, and why do you care about that? Who gives a it, shit if the doctor's, if the doctor's a good dad or not? I mean, what, I, mean I, I know the answer, but but elaborate. Well, who cares if they're a nice guy? We're selling widgets. Let's be honest. We are selling widgets and we're selling it to 12 people that probably on average have an 11th grade education that are going to be very visceral. They're going to want to see something. For as far as they're concerned, this is nothing more than an elaborate play or a movie or a show or an Ally McBeal or, you know, whatever. They're going to look at it and say, I like him or her. I would want him or her to be my doctor. I find him or her to be reasonable, unreasonable. They're going to do that with every single witness that's on there. And that's going to go towards what they want to do. Look, if plaintiff is likable, juries want to do the right thing by that by that plaintiff. If the jury's not likable, then they try to go and find facts that go against the plaintiff. So when they find a plaintiff they like and they want to do something for him or her, they want to find witnesses that carry that water for him or her, i.e. that the doctor is credible. And that gives credence to the fact that this plaintiff is reasonable. In fact, Alex, I think you're an important factor. Look at you right now. You're presenting quite well. You have a conservative suit on, a burgundy tie. You're a nice guy. You wouldn't affiliate yourself with an a-hole. So because you sit next to this person, does that give that person a little bit more credibility? Because we are what we eat. We are the person that we surround ourselves by. Right. Right. So when we take your deposition, it's important, one, for you to be prepared two that you be relaxed, three, that you be yourself, you know, that, that you're relaxed and you feel comfortable. So I wanted to talk about really quick, because I think these factors all relate are, are very relatable. Right. Are you a good communicator? Are you resilient? Are you passionate? Are you compassionate? Do you have confidence in what you do? Do you have good ethics? Are you professional? Are you a good leader? And do you collaborate? As far as I'm concerned, those are the real traits that, that we want to see in a doctor. Let's be honest. If I have cancer and I go see a doctor and that doctor says, yeah, you have cancer, you're going to die. That's the truth. But that isn't a doctor I want to go see. I want to see a doctor that's going to have compassion, who tells me that there's a 5% chance of winning this race, and I'm the doctor that can take you to that 5%. There's no guarantees, but I feel from a compassionate and from an emotional and from an ethical and from 
an educational standpoint, I'm the perfect person to do that for you. And so as a chiropractor, you want to be that same doctor. You want to be that leader, that person that has compassion, that person that cares, doesn't overtreat, wants to do the right thing by the patient, collaborating with other doctors, et cetera. So I hope that answered your question, Alex. Totally. And thank you for, for that insight. I think that's really, really helpful to chiropractors who are, uh, you know, get a depot notice and they're like, what do I, how do I prepare for this? And the, the answer I always give them is be, be the expert in the room, right? The person who's asking you the questions isn't a chiropractor. They didn't go to chiropractic college. They don't have X number of years in clinical experience that you do. So be the expert in the room. Don't let anybody know your own chart better than you. So read your own records because that you know the, the person who's taking your deposition has. They've prepped. You should too. And then just be the best version of yourself you possibly can. Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're a good guy and you're a, or a girl and you're a good doctor and you care about your patients, as I know most of the people listening are and do, that'll come across loud and clear and 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 not be concerned about getting tripped up or or made made to look silly. I hear all the time. Well, what if? What about this? Well, what if it says this and they and it turns out I was wrong, or it turns out that I had a, a I made a mistake, or it turns out. And I go, you're a human being. You're allowed to make mistakes occasionally. Here's that what separates a good depot from a bad depot is what you do when they catch you in one. Do you go? I see you've caught. I made a, a typo there. That's a little silly. I apologize for that. Or do you go, no, no, I, I didn't make a mistake. No, I don't know. I would never make any sort of mistake because when you try to pretend like you're not human and you didn't make a mistake when everyone knows you did, you don't look credible. You don't look likable. You don't look believable. But when you're like, hey, I'm a human. I I messed up once. I, it doesn't change the fact that my opinions are my opinions and the facts are the facts. I mean, that, that's the advice I always give to him. And I, 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 it sounds like you're sort of mirroring that. You're in a podcast right now. I got to come find you. Yeah. And I like what you just said there that be the best version of yourself, right? Go in there and be the best version of yourself. And what that means is being prepared, being real, being honest. Look at if you're being honest, being real, being credible, and you care about job one, that patient. That's all going to come through. That's going to resonate. And that's going to make you a good witness. And the question is, at the end of the deposition, did did the defense lawyer and even your own attorney walk away feeling that you were a credible person, someone the jury is going to like, and that the message you were carrying and the water you were carrying was reasonable? If that's the case, then you've done a great job. And I love what you said, Alex. Everyone makes mistakes. The files aren't going to be perfect. And so there's going to be things in there that you're going to say. I didn't see that, but I'm good with that. I mean, two doctors can go two different directions. I can appreciate that, but I felt this was the best decision for this patient at this time. Right. In retrospect, do I have a different opinion? Maybe I would, but I try not to look back. I only try to look constructively forward on what I can do differently. Right. Right. It's it's how you handle those situations, and that's what you're. That's what I feel like defense attorneys are doing in a lot of those. Do they just push a little here and they push a little there just to see what kind of human being? How do you react if you're a human and somebody catches you in something? You know, big thing, little thing. How do you respond to that? Do you do you do you get defensive? Because that's really a turnoff to a lot of juries. It hurts your credibility if you can't own up to a simple mistake. Or or do you or do you say yeah 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 that that certainly you know that's that's an interesting take. I didn't see that, or I I, I clearly messed up here a little bit, but that I don't think that that changes my ultimate outcome. Or how, how do you sort of navigate that situation? Yeah, that's a great comment there, Alex. I think that everyone needs to appreciate when the deposition's being taken. Both plaintiff lawyers and defense lawyers are going to push certain buttons just to see how you react in that environment. Because we don't want to learn for the first time in a jury that you're the coolest cucumber around. And no matter how much I attack, you're going to become more likable and more lovable right. and more believable. I right. want to find that out in the deposition. So 
what we do say in our deposition summaries is we really liked this guy, presented well, was compassionate, was real. Um, he'll he'll resonate with the jury. He isn't someone we want to cross because he's very well prepared and he's very likable. We will vilify ourselves by attacking this person. In the same breath, by pushing certain buttons in the deposition, we get to test the waters. How do how does she he or she react to that? Is that something we can play in front of a jury later? How can we do that? You know, I, I, I was I wanted to say, too, that there's no tricks. You know, I don't have any tricks. We don't pull out any tricks. I love when someone says, well, I can see you're trying to trick me there. I'm unequivocally not trying to trip anybody. Right. I've got my set 10 or 15 questions that I ask. I'll give you an example. Do you agree that the more information you have, the stronger your opinion? And they'll say, generally, people, most people are going to say, yes, right? The greater, the more information I have, the stronger the foundation for my opinion. And then if it turns out that the plaintiff is, plaintiff lawyer is sparingly, sparingly giving you certain information, I'm going to bring that out. I'm just giving you, that's just, that's not a trick. It's just, I want to know that you want to get the most information you can in order to make the best decision medically for this patient. And then what happened was, did you get all the information you needed or did somebody parse it out to you and keep certain things from you? Maybe a certain record. I just got out of a trial, a massive trial, where the plaintiff tested, uh, had a BAC level of 0.18. And the plaintiff lawyer didn't give that to one doctor. Now, there was 20 doctors. And in, in the jury trial, the judge allowed the blood alcohol level to come in. And I was able to say in, in the beginning, and you'd agree that the more information you have, the greater, the stronger your opinion, the more comfortable you are with being correct. And so, again, the more documentation you have, and if, if plaintiff had tested and had a BAC level above something, would that have been important to you? Yes, it was. In fact, you weren't given that, were you? So that's not a trick. It's just something that we do. Um, honestly, I just want to make that clear. There's no real tricks. There's questions that plaintiff lawyers love. There's questions that defense lawyers love. Um, right. And, we, you, and my advice to any defense, uh, any, excuse me, any chiropractor in that situation is to just, I mean, you, and this leads me perfectly into the, into the segue. Next thing I wanted to talk to you about is that you're, you're, you don't need to concern yourself with how can I best advocate for my, my patient here? Because I think that's where they get themselves tripped up and they're like, oh, he's trying to trick me. If the sentence is true, you you can say that it is true. You can also say, you know, it, I, the, the, you, we get caught up in these sorts of things sometimes because I like, well, if I were getting asked that question, here's how I would answer. It's like, well, you didn't ask it of an attorney, you asked it of a doctor. But as, you know, as the attorney, you want to say, well, you know, the more the you know more pertinent information I get, the better. Yeah, not not any and all extraneous information, but impertinent information. Yeah, that more informs my decision. And then you'd say, well, do you think it's pertinent? The you know that the per client that person had a, a BAC over the legal limit, and they might go, well, and what's the truth? Yes, it sounds like the answer was yes in that case. Okay, then say yes. I mean, you don't ha you're not a right. you're not an advocate now. That brings me to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about, which is I heard you talk in a conference I think two years ago talking about advocacy, specifically in terms of uh, medical providers advocating, and that was the word you used, advocating for their patients. And I've heard that come up a lot, particularly in chiropractic seminars that I've, I've spoken at, where there's a lot of confusion because they think, and rightfully so, I'm their doctor. My job is to advocate for my patient. And I know I see you smiling and you're smiling because we're using the word advocating in very different contexts. Right. I want you in your own words to explain it. What, what do you mean when you sure. say you shouldn't be advocating for your patient? So let's let's give you another general question I like to ask. And I generally won't ask this question at the time of the deposition. I'm going to ask it at the front end of a trial. I'm going to say, do you understand that you're you're the chiropractor for the plaintiff in this case, correct? And you'd agree that you're not advocating. You're not 
going to take the position just to, to, to prosecute or defend your client. Your job is to be a medical provider for the, for the plaintiff, correct? And then most doctors are going to say they're correct. Now, as an expert, an expert is brought into a case not to be an advocator, to be someone who educates the jury. And the civil code's clear. You're not an advocate as an expert. So I love to ask that question on the front end. And then when I ask this expert a certain question, he gives me a crazy answer like, well, I, I couldn't be concerned about BAC. Are, are you advocating right now or are you being reasonable as a doctor? I mean, obviously, blood alcohol level of 0.018 would have a huge uh, a huge effect on what you would do in an emergency setting in terms of the medication you'd provide, in terms of the comments he or she's making to you, whether they lost consciousness. So, so that's where I use that to, to try to say that that my expert in an IME, an independent medical exam or a DME, uh, is being reasonable, right? That he, he or she's not advocating. So I think from your end of it, as a chiropractor, when your deposition is taken, remember, you're not the lawyer, you're the doctor. And your job is to give the doctor, to give the patient the best medical treatment he or she can get in order to get him or her back on the road to, to recovery, back to baseline. And so I'm advocating for his or her medical condition to get better. I want him or her to be better. I feel like I've provided the best remedy for that, the best treatment for that, the best advocacy for that in terms of a medical opinion. But don't cross the line and take Alex's job. You shouldn't be arguing the case. You should just say, I felt that this treatment was best in this setting because this was the information I was provided and I felt like I saw some progress. So being an advocate for a client, you lose credibility. Now you've crossed the line from a doctor to a lawyer and I think that's not gonna be a good look in front of a jury. And it's so funny because it's this is one of the things I think the defense and the plaintiff's bar wholly agree on is I do not want my treating doctors to come across as advocates at all. It, the second they get that stench on them of advocacy, of 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 you know caring not about their patient's well being but about the outcome of the trial, they lose they lose a lot of credibility. All of a sudden, the jury thinks they've got a dog in this fight. Which, financially speaking, they they don't really. I mean, they they I mean they may be a tr lean treater provider, but technically the lean is 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 due to them regardless of the outcome of the case. They, they're not they don't really have a dog in the fight. So, I want them to come across as the most unbiased and and they are the best educators to the jury when the jury looks at them sort of as a professor or a teacher or a, an unbiased third party coming in going, hey, look, I, I don't really know what's going on here or care what's going on here. You wanted to ask me about what I did for this patient. I'd be happy to tell you about it. This is what I thought was the best thing to do. Somebody else has a different opinion. They're entitled to it. Like I, I'm not, I don't, I don't care, without saying it, I don't care how this ends in terms of liability and damages. I'm just here to tell you what I did and why I did it. Well, you, as long as everyone can appreciate the key word is we want you to maintain credibility. Yeah. That you're, you're the doctor of medicine for this patient. You're not the lawyer. And so when you become the lawyer or you're perceived as arguing on behalf of arguing on behalf of the patient, you're going to lose credibility. There is an instruction that the judge gives the jury as a matter of law that the, that the jury must follow. And it says, you're the judge of the facts and you get to determine the credibility. Was someone biased? Was someone credible? Did they make good eye contact? All kinds of things. And so we want you to be, we all want our own witnesses to be amazing in that regard. We want them to be credible. And by being credible means you are the best medical provider in this setting at that time that you treated this patient. And all you cared about was getting this patient back 
to ground zero baseline and on the road to recovery. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Now, something else I heard you say when you spoke at that seminar that that I've since brought up several times when I've been speaking, I actually learned this from you. Um, And uh, it's a little controversial when I bring it up. So I I, want to hear you talk about it a little bit more. It's the idea that a doctor or chiropractor could consult on their own volition with other treating uh, medical providers in a in a PI setting. So you go to your chiropractor, you treat for a little while. That person then goes out and gets MRIs and maybe goes and sees an orthopedist. That orthopedist has got a, a, a course of treatment that they intend to to uh, to pursue. That orthopedist report gets sent back to the chiropractor, who in an ideal world was made the referral. You, what it sounded like you were talking about when I heard you was to, that the chiropractor could very well pick up the phone, call that orthopedist that wrote the report and say, hey, I want to talk to you about this. You, It sounds like you, you're you advocating or not advocating, but you're you're suggesting that this course of uh, that this course of treatment and, and I have these diagnoses, you have these diagnoses. What, how could we work together to best accomplish a positive outcome for this patient and, and that that could a, have a, a positive clinical uh, result, but B, increase the level of credibility that these doctors have when they're in, tri- in trial setting, as opposed to decrease it and make them look like they're uh, colluding or, or doing something nefarious. Yeah, I think you said it all. I think you do get it. So listen, collaborative medicine is a big deal right now, right? They, when a patient has cancer, they have collaborative meetings where they bring all of the doctors in, the oncologist, the radiologist, the general practitioner, they bring them all in and they have a collaborative meeting and Zoom allows you to do that. I think it's so important from a defense standpoint that my experts collaborate and communicate who's going to talk about what, who, what, what do you see? How can I help you? get information from each other, share information so that we can get the best diagnosis for where this patient's at. I think the same thing should be said, if you're a credible doctor and you really care about this this client, this patient and how, and they're getting better, how are you not collaborating with, with their, own, uh, their own practicing doctor and saying, hey, I saw the patient, I really like the patient, I think I've got to go a little bit longer. How do you feel about that? Are we on the same page? It gives you credibility. You're not working in a silo. Also, not to sound manipulative, but plaintiff's firms that sometimes put the doctors into silos on purpose so that one works it up here, another works it up there. I think it loses credibility. Um, so I find that if that a doctor becomes far more um, credible when he or she is a willing is willing to bounce his or her IDs off of others and get information back as to what others are doing in that medical um, program to get this patient back to ground zero. And then document the ever-loving crap out of it. Yeah. And it's easy. I mean, look, you don't have to be on the phone for an hour. It's just like, hey, I've seen this patient four times. I'm a chiropractor. I find that he or she's been progressing. I feel like I have a good relationship with her. I feel like two or three treatments more is going to be beneficial. But I want to know where you're coming from and what are you doing on your end of it? And what other advice are you giving this patient to go? That sounds great. We're all working on the same page. This is a patient. I mean, this is it couldn't be more important to have a collaborative uh, diagnosis than in this setting, in my opinion. Yeah. And when and when it comes up in when 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 you do that, if you do that, you should be documenting this in your chart, in your soap notes, in your report um, so that uh, so that it it, it is, you know, for posterity. So that later on, um, when it comes up, you could say, yeah, I collaborated with the orthopedist on this case. I thought it was really important that that we be on the same page to get this patient, you know, better. Their their treatment outcomes were, were as optimized as possible. 
Um, as it relates to that, there's a big controversy in the world of chiropractic right now as it relates to final reports or narrative reports, um, whether or not to do them, uh, whether your soap notes could stand on their own if they're if they're detailed enough or if you need to do some sort of opening report or final report uh, to discharge the patient. Um, I, if I had to guess, I would say that the idea behind not doing it is twofold. One, in, candidly, I'm sure chiropractors don't want to do them because they're extra work. But two, because they represent a big risk that it that you write something in there as a chiropractor that then the plaintiff's attorney has to deal with later. If you write that, you know, certain symptoms are resolved and then they flare up later, then that's going to get used against them. Or if they write something in there uh, that, that that's unhelpful or, or or you know, I'm not sure what that that could be hurtful. I don't know. What, what do you have a take on this? Final reports versus soap notes? As if so, listen. It's not. It's not going to make or break a defense either way. So, if you have a report, great. If you don't have a report, it doesn't hurt you. I just want to make that clear. If the soap notes are good and they're thorough, and you have an intake, and where were you last time I saw you? Where are you now? Where are you? Where are you going? Where? Am, what am I doing with you? I think that's great, right? Um, again, I go back to collaboration. Why would you prepare a report other than to give the client? Full disclosure and information because knowledge is power. Knowledge is confidence, provides confidence to the patient. They see confidence in you that I'm not afraid to step out. Look, we do it as attorneys, right? Dear client, here's where we're at. Here's where we're going. Here's what I want to accomplish. Um, I think it sells really well. Did you provide a report? Did you did you prepare a report? What, why did you prepare a report? One, I want to know internally in detail, where has the patient been? Where is the patient at? Where's the patient going? I wanted to share that with the patient. I wanted to collaboratively share that with the other doctors so that they would know where I'm at. Um, I think it gives you some credibility if you've got it and you like it and you have the confidence to pull it off. If you don't and you don't have the time, you don't have the patience and your soap notes are good and you're still collaborating, I think you're in just as good of a position. Everyone needs to appreciate that these reports are not admissible. So when you prepare them, we're not using them as a dagger because they're admissible. The only really risk is that they may go to your credibility. But again, if you're being honest and doing your job and being credible, there's not going to be a lot of holes to poke at because you're going to say, based on the information I had at that time. So let me give you an example. Alex and I have a value of every single case in our, in our, in our, in our cabinet right now. And that value is dependent on today, the information, facts, and knowledge that we have today and the venue that we have it. That's going to change tomorrow when we take the chiropractor's deposition and he becomes more likable. That's going to be a better case for the plaintiff. Not as good a case for the defense, right? Same for you. Patient tells you he or she's here. Then the next day they did this, that, or the other, and they have a different story. And you change your position based on what you've learned today. It's going to be an ever-evolving situation. So I don't think not having a report hurts you. I don't think having a report hurts you. I think it can help you in so many regards. And it obviously can help you hurt you if someone wants to punch holes at it. But again, if you have the self-confidence and you are good at your trade and you know what you're doing and you can explain, everything is going to change tomorrow on that report. Everything. Yeah, it's just, it, there's sometimes, you know, you, you'll see, a, I'll see a report where, it's obvious that there's been a lot of cutting and pasting from other reports, like the pronoun is incorrect or the the uh, the patient's name is is wrong in a certain place. And in those instances, I feel like that's just fodder for, you know, do you do you know do, does this do this does this patient have exactly the same injuries as any other patient that you've ever had? Well, then how come you cut and clearly cut and paste this section from some other report? And I mean, I, I just I, I I think that's where that concern largely comes from is like. Are you putting in the time and making a real 
earnest, unique report for this specific patient? Or is this just a practice that you do and you just churn out these reports and there's cut and paste errors and there's, you know, you, you, you'll have the same, <laughs> the same paragraph in every note for, you know, for 25 visits in a row. I mean, th there are, there are ways that reporting can get, can get used against doctors if it's sloppy or if it's not done with a certain amount of care. And I think that's what you're talking about when you say the, 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 the confidence, self-confidence to do it is to like, you know, do it right. I, you nailed it. I mean, look, if you're going to have a bunch of typographical errors and you're going to look shoddy and it's going to go to your credibility, if you're going to cut and paste and you've got some mistakes in there where you have he and she mixed up or the same exact paragraph in case you had two months earlier, you know, but again, did I start with a template? I did. Yes, I started with a template, but it was all about my treatment of Alex in this setting. And yeah, that is a typo there. So, you know, there's pros and cons, but obviously typos, bipping and copying is going to hurt you if you get caught with it and it just looks manufactured. Yeah. All right. Well, Keith, it is 129. This is a 30 minute podcast. I told you the time would just fly past us. I, uh, I want to thank you for being here. I, uh, I, you're just an incredible wealth of information on this stuff and um, the take you have on it that like a chiropractor can be often is uh, a, 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 a positive for their, for their own patient's case, for the plaintiff's case, if, if they choose to be, if they want to, you know, put on the deposition show that there's the best that they can and be as credible and likable as they can. And that, you know, they, they're, they're advocating in the proper way for their patient's well-being where, wherever possible. I mean, the, the, it's, it doesn't have to be a scary thing where you're going to go into the lion's den and get beat up and it's going to be this horrible, horrific experience because ultimately at the end of the day, you were trying your best to make your patient well and you can always fall back on that assuming it's true, which I think it is of everyone listening. But assuming that's true, you can always fall back on, look, I'm a human being and I was just trying to make this patient feel better than they did yesterday. I would just end by saying, be the best version of yourself. You know, that your job is this patient's medical condition to get him or her to back to baseline, to give him or her, him or her the best medical treatment you can um, so that he or she can feel the best they can right now. If you stick with that, nothing more, not being an advocate, not seeing them win this case or lose this case, you don't care. My job is that this patient feels good. And that's my job. And I feel really good about the tools I'm using to fix that, 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 that vessel. Couldn't have said it better myself, Keith. Thank you so much for being here. I really, really appreciate it. To everybody listening, uh, this is available or wherever you get your podcasts. It's also available on uh, YouTube after a couple of days. Um, I believe this is our last one of the year. So we're, we're happy to close out our podcast season. Starting January, we're back with Sam Collins, who's a billing expert. And a lot of people know him. Um, and, uh, and that's it for us for, for the Staying Aligned podcast. Thank you, Keith. And thank everybody for listening. You got it, pal. Take care. Thank you, everyone. Take care, man.